Welcome to the Middle Cross Podcast, where we apply the gospel to all of life, one day at a time. These are your hosts, J.P. Barton and Mark Gaylor. This is the word of the Lord. Paul said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife See that she respects her husband. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that what we know not that you would teach us, or that what we have not that you would give us, and that what we are not, Lord, that you would make us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with y'all. Uh, y'all knowing me, I'm not going to spend a lot of time up here to tell you how my vacation was. This is the time for looking at God's word, not for the time looking at what JP did this past week. But I will tell you that I had a good time. And I appreciate you letting me take a break. And I appreciate Ryan coming and filling in. But here we are getting back in the word. We're here in Ephesians chapter 5, and we've come to probably one of the passages that you either are really looking forward to to taking a peek at, or you're really not looking forward to taking a peek at. And it may even seem as though when we come to this, this marriage issue, that it's as though Paul is totally shifting gears, and you're going, why is he jumping into this all of a sudden? Well, as we start this morning, I want to recap what Ephesians is about in the first place, but as we ease into this, I'll, I want to. I was reminded of a, uh, a book I have not actually com- completely read, but War and Peace, because it's it's about this thick. But there's a quote in there that's very interesting uh, from a gentleman by the name of Prince Andrew. Now Leo Tolstoy is the one who wrote this book, but Prince Andrew gave his friend Pierre some marriage advice in War and Peace. He said, "Never, never marry, my dear fellow!" Exclamation point. That's my advice. Never marry till you can say to yourself that you have done all that you are capable of and until you have ceased to love the woman of your choice and have seen her plainly as she is. Or else you will make a cruel and irrevocable mistake. Marry when you are old and good for nothing, he says, or all that is good and noble in you will be lost. Now, I don't start off with that to say that's exactly the right kind of advice. In fact, the opposite. I start off with that to say that is a very, very, very bleak view of marriage. 
And when you hear something like that, you may go, wow, I'm glad I don't think like that. But the reality is, is that his opinion is not much different than most of our, our culture's opinions. In fact, his opinion, rather, is probably not a whole lot different than a lot of Christians. We may marry and be given in marriage, but we don't really know what it is that we are in and the blessing that it is. And in light of Prince Andrew's statement, I doubt he ever found his Princess Diana with that kind of outlook in the first place. So we have a problem, and here's, here's the problem. The, the culture believes whatever suits them at the time. That's no news to us. Right? Now the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do you, do we only believe what we like in the Bible? See, this morning, we're not just taking that first verse, verse 22. I'm holding off a little bit. I'm just kind of, I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing you guys a little now I want to take 22 to 33 and look at an introduction to this whole marriage issue. Because under the marriage issue, in light of how we live and what the Bible says, there's a deeper issue, and the issue is our belief in the sufficiency of Scripture. Because we love it when we read in verse, or rather chapter 2, about God's love for us and His grace. We don't love it as much when we get to the last three chapters and He starts telling us how we ought to live. Now, I don't get up here this morning to tell you you need to live how JP lives. Rather, I get up here submitting to you, submitting with you as well, I pray, to what God's Word actually says. So that's what I want us to do this morning. But if you remember, the whole point of this book of Ephesians is that the gospel story shapes every part of our life story, which means it shapes your marriage as well. So, that means for us, we ought not move on from it, from the gospel, if you want to know how to live. And too often, that's the, that's the approach we take. I got saved, Pastor, so now what do I do? Hold, hold on a second. Don't move on from what you just got saved in, which is Christ Jesus. He is the foundation for everything. So as we ease into some particulars this morning, it's going to be a bit more of the state of things kind of sermon, a bit more application kind of sermon, I hope. We need to address marriage as a whole. And so three kind of things I have for you this morning to kind of gather our thoughts around is marriage, the state of marriage today, the foundation of marriage, and the purpose as a whole. Now, as we ease into this, those of you here, now I know most of you in this room, so if you are married, listen up. If you are married, I would advise also not too much nudging from one side to the other. You might regret it later on in the day. Now, if you're not married, I also encourage you to listen up. For this, the Bible reveals to us what we ought to be looking for in it. What it is besides what the world just tells us that it is. And why it's such a good thing. Because you may long to be married one day. The world will also tell you that singleness is often better than marriage. And that's not true as well. 
Now, the Lord gifts us in celibacy, certain individuals, but he does not gift us necessarily in singleness. Singleness is a, a chapter in life. If he's gifted you in a particular way, then pursue it just as Paul did. But I want us to be very candid about things this morning. And so it's state, its foundation, and its purpose. Also, single folks, as we look at this, and I'll probably reiterate this when we come to a close. If you're looking, oh, who should I look for to marry? Those kinds of questions. Become who you would want to marry, would want to marry. That's what this ought to do for you. So, all that is to say, this touches everybody in the room, not just certain individuals. So let's take a look at the first problem, the first issue, so to speak, the state of marriage. And what is this? What is the state of marriage, so to speak, today in our modern in our modern day and time? Even not just in the world, but also in the church often. It's a state of rebellion, a state of rebellion. If you're taking notes, you can take notes on your bulletin as well this morning. Now we see this. You say, where, where in the world are you getting this, JP, from verses 22 to, to 33? We have to back up. This is what he's given us to actually walk in. If we back up in Ephesians, this is why context is always so important. You remember Ephesians chapter 2, what is it that he has told us? Verse 1, and you were, y'all tell it to me, and you were, I'm going to keep y'all alive this morning, and you were what in your trespasses and sins? Dead. Like Lazarus before Jesus instructed him to walk out of the tomb. Now, were we half alive? Were we just sick? Were we uneducated? Were we hungry? No, we were none of those things. We were more than those things. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not only were we dead in them, but we walked in them as zombies did, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, and among whom we once all lived in the passage of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. In other words, if we take that grand truth and we apply it to the state of marriage without us actually walking in Christ Jesus, it's a state of rebellion. It's not a state of wholesomeness. Now what this means for us, at least one of the things it means for us, is that when we limit the gospel to a moment of belief, you heard me talk about just moments ago, not moving on from the gospel. When you limit the gospel to a moment of belief, rather than just walking in it in life, we end up capping the well of life to our marriage, our relationships, our work, our church, etc., etc., etc. It's not a one-and-done thing. It's a continually walking. And now are you saved once? And forever, amen, absolutely. But just as though when you got married, if we can use this illustration, you didn't say, great, I'm married, see ya. No, that's not how that works. Now, that's when the work begins. And I hope you see this morning, it's, marriage actually points to the gospel. Now, you see, when we cheapen the gospel, we find rebellion down the road, Right? If we cheapen it here, down the road, we're going to find some, some potholes and some rocks. Just like Christian did when he took worldly wise man's advice on Pilgrim's Progress. He said, that sounds great. I'm going to take that path. And lo and behold, what happened? He started going up the hill and he said, this is hard. A lot harder than it has to be. 
But not only that, but when we adopt the world's view of marriage and go light with the word, we end up with a church that has worldly marriages. I hope you're tracking along with me this morning. We're going to get somewhere, get to a point. See, without the Bible, without the gospel, we can have marriage, but it's not glorifying to God. We end up with husbands that abdicate their responsibility. We end up with wives that beat down their husbands. We end up with divorce that runs rampant. We end up with pornography substituting the marriage bed. We end up with men marrying men and women marrying women. Now we're diving straight into application here this morning. Do you know why your marriage is hard? And everyone in this room probably says, my marriage is not hard. My marriage is it's glorious. Amen? Let's restart nudging from side to side. Because of sin. It's quite simple, isn't it? So, JP, that's a simple answer. You're, you don't know what I've been through. No, I don't know what you've been through. I just know the state of your heart without Christ. And that's enough. It's enough to know the need. It's just enough to know the answer to the need. This is what you end up with when you don't have a gospel-centered marriage. See, it is rebellion that wears a Jesus loves you t-shirt sometimes. And it stops at that. In other words, what I'm saying, it's rebellion that is sometimes a Christian in name only and not a Christian practice. Because where we're getting to in Ephesians is a Christian in practice. And it's hard. But it's by grace. And we sometimes miss the danger right in, right in front of us because we focus so much on the life to come just so that you can continue to walk in disobedience in this life. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it a bit of a different way. You sometimes miss the danger right in front of you because you focus so much on the life to come just so that you can continue to walk in disobedience in this life. I just want to think about how glorious heaven is going to be. I don't want to think about how holy I'm going to have to be when I get there. And we put it off, and we put it off, and we put it off, and we put it off because we think that it's not joyful and worth living that way. But all of a sudden, when the rubber meets the road, when we get married, when you, when you have kids, when you have to pay the bills together, when you have to talk together at the end of the day, things get difficult, amen? And so we find this state of rebellion. But we need more if we're going to make it on this journey, right? See, this is all the bad news. I'm giving you all the bad news on the front end. So the good news is actually really good news. If that's the state of, a mar of marriage today, which is rebellion, and I want you to understand this too, that if you wonder why marriage looks much like it does in the world as it does in the church, they don't look very different because we have forgotten to submit ourselves to what the Bible actually says about it. Divorce rates are similar. Cohabitation without marriage, similar. All these kinds of things. And this morning, if you're going, well, JP, that happens to touch where I'm at. I'm not casting a stone as I am 
as much raising a red flag, not to run away from your partner, whoever that may be, but to say, why don't you submit to the Bible if you want joy? Because grace is sufficient for it. Not one of us in here are going to say we're more holy than the other. But by grace, there go I. And there's joy in that. Now, the foundation for marriage. What are we getting ourselves into in the first place? If you remember, those of you that know your Bible well, Genesis 2.24 is actually quoted here in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Very beginning of the Bible, after the after God created the world, and He created man and woman in His image, He instructed them essentially to be wed. And Eve was created from the rib of Adam, not created separately. And you see the implications of that as you read through the Bible. And she was also created as His helper. Now, when I say helper this morning, I hope you ladies in the room don't go, "Well, I'm more than that." Yes. We understand that. Let's not use the world's vernacular to determine what the Bible means, but let the Bible speak for itself. Not making light of who women are when it says such things. Not at all. See what happens, though, if we start to lose their proper foundation, though? When we read this passage, let's take verse 22, for instance. Let's have a little fun with this this morning since I am back. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And all God's people said, Oh. <laughs> what do we do with this one? Right? Now we're going to address this more specifically in terms of what this actually means next week. But you understand what I'm getting at. Lord, thank you for loving me. Paul says, okay, now read verse 22 of chapter 5. Now hold on a second. So how do we handle this? What do we do with it? Does that mean we start a cult and we have you know, very specific things for how we have to dress for each one and all these kinds of things? No, 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 no. We're not going down that road. Does that mean that, 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 the, that the husband is the boss of the wife? No, 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 it does not mean that either. Like I said, we're going to get in more in depth here, but when... When you lose the foundation and you read a passage like this, you can run rampant with misapplication. You can run on one side and say, Honey, everything I tell you to do is what you're supposed to do, and I don't expect any questions asked. Which is very dangerous. No nudging, okay? You can run on the other side and say, We are totally equal in terms of how we are made. It's almost like we're man and man, woman and woman. Hold on a second. God didn't make it that way either. So what we got to find is what the Bible actually says. And if he is our king, as we read about this morning, if he is our king, it's much more as though we're back in feudal Scotland where we worship the king, we serve the king, but we are, are indeed lords of our manor, and there is a lady of the manor as well. And you rule that together. And all the while, you serve your king. When she says, take the shoes off at the door, you take the shoes off at the door. 
when he says, this is what's best for our family because I believe this is where the Lord is leading, you walk with him. That's what this looks like. So what is the foundation of marriage? And applying it this way, it's grace and God's word. That's what it is. God has instit- instituted it, which means it is his that's been given to us. So we need to find out what else the Bible says about it. And so Christ is the foundation for marriage, and the Spirit is the one who works in you the reality of the gospel. And I want you to notice, just back up a little bit before verse 22. Verse 18, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we notice this Spirit language going on here. Dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, verse 22 makes no sense if you don't read verse 21. You know, the way it's supposed to work in church is that we actually equally submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. In other words, what that means is we don't walk around as selfish people. It's as simple as that. Now, let me ask you this, and this is, I don't know this personally as a matter of experience, but I've certainly witnessed it. How well does your marriage and conversation go when you are act very selfish in a particular day? It don't go good, does it? I usually catch grief pretty quick, right? I'm not hearing any amens. Maybe we're guilty of this more than we thought. Right? But when you're selfless, how does it go? It can still be hard. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you notice how much farther along you actually get. Where do you think that originates from? Do you think God thought of marriage? Do you think God instituted marriage between a man and a woman and then said, you know what, let's make salvation look like that? Or do you think it was the other way around? Christ and the church come before your marriage. And if it comes before your marriage, then you best look to him if you want to know what it ought to look like in your life. And so he is the foundation of, for it, but notice how how is it that he's the foundation for it? Look look at verse twenty three, and this is where it starts to get a little more interesting. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Where have we heard that before? Verse twenty two of chapter one, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things the church. Christ is the Head, first and foremost, is yours, is ours. Again, notice in verse 25, after he instructs husbands, love your wives. Where do you think this command has come from? He says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Now, a lot of times I have to keep myself from getting ahead of myself. But when we read that, we go, oh, that's nice. He really loves her. We go on about her married day and say, man, I really, yeah, I really love her more now. It's like, don't we, I mean, you, you've experienced salvation. You know its significance. Don't you think it's more than that? It is, actually. It's way more than that. See, us Baptists have a tendency to do things in just remembrance a lot. 
like the Lord's Supper, for instance. And there's nothing wrong with that. I stand by that. But we tend to apply that to the gospel in a negative way. I just remember the gospel. But here he actually tells husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. That means to do as he did. Now, we understand we can't be Christ. We can't sacrificially lay our lives down and then the atonement actually take place because of this. But he's already said in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. Oh, so we already have the foundation for this instruction here. Anyway, he goes on, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Now, I am indeed getting ahead of myself, so I might as well I'll go ahead and state where I'm at. Here we're getting into the purpose of marriage. What is it for? Two kind of truths here we need to make sure we remember is that there is no biblical marriage covenant without the promise of the new covenant. Have you ever thought about that? Why in the world do you make those vows? Is it just so you stick through it when it gets hard? And I want you to know this morning as you sit in these seats and this, that there's grace for those who have been in a situation where those vows have been broken. It covers all. There's also no biblical marriage without the word. So what's the purpose of marriage then? If we look at this, if we see Christ in the church, it's God's glory. In other words, what I'm getting at is this. <laughs> we don't get married for us. We don't just, you don't just get married for you. It's pointing to something a whole lot bigger. See, if Christ is the head and, and the church is his bride, if we take this reality, but let's say it a little bit different, and I want us, I pray that we become a little more comfortable with these words because this is what the Bible uses, and it's going to, it makes application explode. At least it, it did when I was looking at it this week. Christ is the head, and the church, the elect, is who the church is. It's another word for it in the Bible. If you don't believe me, just check out your Bible. This is bride. You, I want to ask you a question. If we take a look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, if the church is the bride and she is Christ's, then when she married into the family, she got a whole lot of good stuff. But not just stuff. She got the riches of grace. We did. For even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If we take this reality, God's sovereign grace, and apply it specifically to how we live in our marriages, it changes everything. Could you? And I hope you understand me this morning. You see what happens when you, when you make light of God's sovereign love. When you make it as though... It is totally and absolutely up to you. You can shun God if you would like when you come to salvation. You're reducing it down to a very selfish kind of gospel. If you walk in a selfish kind of gospel, when you get to the hard parts in marriage, do you think 
that kind of gospel is going to be sufficient for those hard times. But when you go back to what the love looks like that Christ has for his bride, see, if we skimp on election, we reduce our marriages to choicey friendships. Well, she suits my needs, and she's pretty, so I guess I'll go with this. We make light of God's sovereign love, Christ's love for his bride. If I asked you this morning, why do you love your spouse? What would you say? That's when you nudge to say, make sure you listen to what I'm fixing to say, honey, okay? I love you because you are... Hold on a second. I need to back up. What if because you're isn't there tomorrow? What if because you're this changes? Because this person you married when you were young isn't the same person necessarily when you get older. No, no, no. It, it's I love you. It ends up being I love you because I love you. I've heard an old wise preacher say, choose who you love and then love who you chose. But see what happens when you totally throw out God's choosing and his love? There's a complete disconnect in application when it comes to living life. Why does he love me? Because he loves me. That's as far back as you can get on God's love. He doesn't love you because you're nice looking. That's maybe only about half of us in the room. Amen? Y'all didn't find that too funny. He doesn't love you because you're smart. He doesn't love you because you're not as much of a sinner as the person sitting next to you. He just loves you because he loves you. And when you're having a difficult time at home, when you're having a difficult marriage, how are you going to work it out? Unless you go back to a gospel kind of love that says, I love you because I love you because he loved me. Because in that moment, you can come up with every kind of excuse and say, well, you're not who I want. But you made a covenant before God. So we got to figure out how to walk through it. And why does he love us? Because he loves his bride. This is why the gospel is so important, y'all. And I feel like we've been just walking barely close, barely close to this for many, many, many months as we look at this. What we have, one of the major things we have lost in the church today is the application of the gospel to everyday life. Because we've forgotten the gospel. Now, does that mean that in God's sovereign love and sovereign grace that we don't want to love him too? Absolutely not. That's not how that works. And the Bible testifies that that's not how that works in several different ways. But one of them is my favorite passage. One of my favorite passages in the Bible in Revelation 19. Christ didn't love the bride and the bride say, well, I don't know if I really like you or not. Even though his love was sovereign 
In Revelation 19, this is how the bride was, this is the telling of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those of surrounded said, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory in verse 7 of 19. For the marriage of the Lamb has come with his bride, and his bride has made herself ready. She didn't get to the wedding and say, you know what, I'm having second guesses. I don't know if I really want this. She was ready for the day. See, God's sovereign love and sovereign grace is not antithetical, if you want to use this word, or opposite to our choosing. No, it's actually the foundation for us being able to choose something so wonderful. Have you ever noticed that as you age, your choices sometimes get better? You get a little wiser? That's only true for some of us. I mean, do do you understand what I'm saying? That when we have a proper understanding of the creator-creature distinction, that he is the creator, we are the creature, and everything in which we live, we actually go back to him first. It is so amazing how simple so many things are. If his grace is sovereign in your marriage, when it gets hard, you don't go, well, I guess I just don't love you now. Go, I love you because I love you. Because he loved me. That's what you do. And we see here that she was willing and rejoicing in it. It was granted to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the the saints. I want you to watch here. This is the bride. I want you to watch the description of the groom. See, we miss this too. When we think of the the wives and the husbands, we make very light of, of things. And it's most especially true in our day and time that we have actually swapped the roles a whole lot. And we go back to what I was saying earlier when we say that husbands love your wives and we walk away and go, yep, okay, I'm just going to love her a little more. No, it's, this is a way. We are to imitate Christ. Now watch this. I've read this many times before. This is the description of the of, of, of the bridegroom. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the white press of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What I'm getting at is this, and I read this in a book previously, uh, or I guess it was really just yesterday or the day before. When we reduce this, we find a lot of things in our life void. When you look at the story of redemption and how wonderful and beautiful it is, Husbands, you want to know how to walk in the gospel in your marriage? Look at Christ more often. And not just the Christ that was all that was that the world tells us is our Christ, that is weak and unable and just our best friend, but the Christ that is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Be that kind of husband. Wives, if you want to walk better in your marriage, then look at the bride more often. The one who rejoices over what her husband has given her. The one who loves, but also the one who lords over her own home, her own people, who is indeed the executive of her own. And she is quite capable. 
Husbands and wives, you cannot be either one of those things except by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say, JP, I was really hoping when you said you're going to give us a marriage sermon that you would just give me a couple steps on how to make it better because I have to go home this afternoon. It's not that simple, y'all. The reason it's not that simple is because there's a whole lot more to gain than just having a better one. And so in all, the purpose of marriage is his glory because it points back to this reality. And it's glorious because his bride is glorious. And guess what? We are his bride. And so what this means for us in summary is that the gospel shapes your marriage. And so we should submit to the Bible and soak in the gospel these next few weeks. That's what I pray that we do. And as you hear this this morning, you know, it, it, it will make no sense if you do not believe that his love is true, if you do not actually believe that Jesus is God's son. It's going to sound crazy, it's going to sound hokey, and it's going to sound absolutely unattainable. And I don't want you to leave this morning thinking, I can't do all this. I want you to leave this morning thinking, wow, what is what an amazing thing has done for me. I want you to walk away actually relieved because you realize if Christ is the bridegroom and we are his bride, there's nothing that God hasn't already seen, done, or not known. He can walk you through wherever you are, the both of you. And so if you do not believe this morning, I'd ask that you just simply slow down and trust Christ. Stop busying yourself with the things of the world and busy yourself with the one that loves you. Because he's waiting. And he's not leaving. And he will be there till the very end and past that. So submit yourselves to Jesus today. And let's submit ourselves to God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of, of your love for us, Lord. And goodness, how we take it for granted. How we skip over it. We make light of it. But what an amazing thing it is to be loved by you and to be called the bride of Christ. Father, I pray that the picture of the gospel is made more clear when we look at this and that things aren't confused, Lord, but that your spirit would work in our, our hearts and our minds to, to make sense of what the Bible says. But I pray that we would also be humble in our approach to this and understand, just as Paul says, it indeed is still a mystery. We will never fully comprehend, not till glory, Lord, the significance of Christ and his bride, the church. And yet, Lord, we find ourselves here, so help us walk in obedience. So we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Hey guys, we appreciate you listening to our podcast. Uh, if you would please leave us a five-star review, it really helps us out a lot. And also there's a link to our 
newsletter in the description below if you want to check that out. We appreciate you listening.